We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ryan is back with us now, and we have, Ryan, uh, a, few, a few questions here we'll dive into in our, in our mailbag today. We have a two-parter from Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. Zib, there's no doubt talent on the team, but why does it seem like always an excuse not to play the talent? They were not 230, uh, they were not 230 pounds. Now the freshmen are. It seems the goalpost is extended by the playbook. Part two, they need to learn the whole playbook. Why does Indy handicap themselves constantly instead of playing their best players i mean i i don't think that, brian like do you think that there's an exact reason for it right because like this has been an issue ongoing at notre dame for a while like this isn't just a marcus freeman staff issue this has yeah. been a, this was an issue under brian kelly a lot too more so not, on offense more so yeah. on offense and, and here's why it really comes down to there are two schools of of thought in my opinion in coaching and i'm and i'm being very as i'm being very broad and I think being broad, you can fit coaches into these one or two categories. There are the coaches who believe scheme is the most important. And those coaches tend to think it's about how smart I am. Right. That's one lane. The other lane are coaches who everyone knows the scheme matters to a degree. Nobody says, hey, we're just going to line up and run run coverage in one scheme all day and we're going to beat you because our players are that good. There's no team that good. None. And And so to me – Ryan, if you took the, an all-star team of players in college football, every team not named Georgia, and you put the best person in the country on that team, and you ran one run play, one pass play, one front coverage, and one and, and or one front and one coverage all game, that team would get murdered by Georgia and get beat by a lot of other teams. You can't just run. Sure. You have to – scheme matters. But the other box of coaches are those who believe scheme matters – but what's matter even more is our kids have to be able to do whatever we teach them as fast and with as little thinking as possible. It's about right. fundamentals and technique and lining up correctly, and it's about them. The best coaches are the ones in that category that get sort of towards that middle ground of, I'm a really good X's and O's coach, but the X's and O's are a byproduct of them knowing how to play the game the right way. 
the coaches who struggle to maximize their talent more often than not are coaches who who overemphasize scheme at the expense of technique. And and that's why the NFL coaches scare me. Because at the NFL, you're getting guys who've been in college three, four, five years. They've been taught how to play the game to a degree. It's more about the scheme. In college, it has to be more about how to play. And the perfect example of this is Charlie Weiss, which is why I bring this up. First two Mm -hmm. years, Charlie Weiss inherits a very veteran football team that had already been taught how to line up, how to block, how to tackle, how to snap, and all that kind of stuff, right? How to run routes. So he takes his veteran group, Brady's a junior, you got all these veteran players, and they, two years in a row, they're a top 10 team. Then those veterans leave, and they're replaced by back-to-back outstanding recruiting classes. Bunch of five-star players. The next three teams sucked. Why? Because those kids, those young players that were ultra-talented, were not taught how to play the game. It was all about scheme. They didn't know how to line up the right way all the time. They didn't know how to use their technique the right way. They weren't taught the nuances of how to play wide receiver, how to play offensive line, how to play D-line, how to play linebacker, and they constantly underachieved because you had Charlie on one side and John Tenuta on the other side, two guys obsessed with showing everyone else how smart they are. And and that's not where you got to be. You've got to be a smart coach. You've got to know scheme. You've got to know how to adjust. You've not got to know how to game plan. But if at the foundation of what you are is not, we got to learn how to line up. We got to learn how to step properly. We got to learn how to take on blocks properly. We got to understand the game from an intellectual level before I can throw millions and millions of concepts on them, right? Being hyperbolic, obviously, there, then you're just not going to maximize your potential. And, and to me, I think that's what hurt Clark Lee in his, as he got further away from his first year he got more and more into the scheme and went away from just like the 2018 defense was not an elite defense, Ryan, from the standpoint of they just had like elite players. They held, but that team was so good and they were so consistently good because they just, they lined up, they knew what they were supposed to do and they did it. They did it well. And so even though they didn't have an elite defense and where they were holding teams like 150 yards of offense, they were just good every single week. And it was because of that. Now, in, in 19 and 20, they were more inconsistent. Why? Because I, I felt like Coach Lee put a little bit more on them at times, maybe, than he should have. And at times, it was, I mean, the COVID year, you lost a lot of the offs. I mean, there's other things why. But I think that's part of it as well. And so, to me, offensively under Brian Kelly, defensively under Al Golden, I feel like they're still putting too much on these guys as far as what they're asking them to do. And I think Marcus Freeman, to be honest with you, did a little bit of that in 2021 as well. He simplified. Here's the difference, though. I felt like Coach Freeman put more on those players early in 2022-2021. But after a few games, he realized we're putting too much on them. He backed off, said to the players, that's on me. I need you ready to play. And the next rest of the season, they were really good on defense. And they weren't bad again on defense until he got to the bowl game where he was no longer running it. And so that's the thing for me is Coach Freeman realized, hey, I'm putting too much on him. And the reason why is you come to Notre Dame and you think these are really smart kids, and they are. But you can sometimes make a mistake of assuming that because they're really smart, then I can treat them like NFL players. But the difference is they're not NFL players. They're college kids at a school that makes them go to class, makes them go to study tables, makes them engage the community. They don't have the 100% dedicated to football 
or 95% dedicated to football that some other schools are. Yeah. And I think that's a mistake a lot of coaches make with these really smart kids is they can't be in the film room nonstop because they have a physics exam. They have to legit, they have to show up and take the test for, they have a community outreach engagement that, and, and those are not things that they should stop doing. They should still do those things. That's what's so great about being at Notre Dame, in my opinion. But you've got to understand that as a coach and say, hey, I thought we could do a lot of this. I need to scale that back a little bit. Coach Freeman did that in 2021. He realized he put a little too much on him, scaled it back, and that defense was nasty down the stretch in 2021. I don't think Coach Gold never really made that assessment. And, and that's that's my concern. And if he does, Ryan, but if he does, then I think this defense is going to be really good, in my view. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I'm very hopeful that we're going to see a influx of younger guys getting more opportunity this year and into the future. Because I think one thing, Brian, that's an interesting thing is that we do you know, we do have to consider that it's a first-year coaching staff, right? Like, yeah, there was some rollover from Chris O'Leary was there, Marcus Freeman was there for a second year, Mike Mickens was obviously there. But sometimes when you're so much to figure out and to kind of hit that transitional period, sometimes it's easier to just rely on the known products, right? Like sometimes it's easier to rely on veterans and known commodities. And I I think it's a flawed way of thinking. I do, but I I do understand to a degree the sense of wanting familiarity around you, wanting guys that have been there, wanting that experience. I get that, right? So I hope that now going into year two under – Coach Golden, you're two under Al Washington, that they do start to make that pool like, all right, I'm more comfortable now. I'm in second year in the system. Let's get some of our younger talent on the field, right? Like we don't have to worry as much about that transitional period anymore. So maybe we'll lie more towards the younger talent versus, you know, just kind of wanting a baseline in year one. So I'm hopeful for that. I am. Will it happen? I have no idea. I have no idea. 
But I do think that there is some validity to that conversation. Again, I don't know if that's 100% the reason why, but I'm just thinking like, you know, my first year of like teaching, for instance, right? When you go into the classroom for the first time, it's like you lean on the people that you that have been there and what they know, and you kind of listen and just kind of reflect and start to build out your identity. Year two is where you really kind of take that jump, right? Is in most professions, is like, all right, I know what I'm doing now. I've kind of been through the ringer. I have a better understanding of what's expected and what I need to accomplish. Maybe this is the year that they unlock that potential a little bit. So I hope there's some part of that. But at the end of the day, man, I think that there has to be a push to play in the best talent out there because you want to talk about what makes you look smart. What makes you look smart is knowing understand how to utilize multiple talent levels, right? Multiple players into a system that would flex your football intelligence to me. So I hope that there's a push to that in year two. That's 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 why I said earlier, right? They need to meet in the middle. It's not just about the players are here. Now gold's got to come all. No, no, no. It's got to be. He's got to go to them and they got to come to him. And when if you can find that sweet spot, that's what can make you. And and honestly, it's not easy. Otherwise, no. everybody would do it. It's not easy. And every well, I'm team sure. every year is different. You're going to have yeah. some teams that just have, man, we had these six kids that were just wicked smart football guys. So I could do more because I had this really wicked linebacker that could just get everybody lined up like that. I had these two safeties that were just great at communicating. I just had these corners. I could just go and put on an island. So I don't have to worry about them. You're going to have teams like that. And then you're going to have other years where you don't have that experience and you don't maybe have those kids who are wicked smart and you've got to adapt to that. You can't say, well, we did it the same way we did it last year when we were top five defense and it just guys didn't figure it out. No, no, no. You didn't have those same players. It's your job to coach to what you have, not coach to what you want to be and then blame the players when they don't live up to what you know, you're trying to do. It's, they got to go make plays. Your job is to put them in position to play to the best of their ability. And if they're not good enough, then go recruit better players. But if you're if if you're saying, well, we're trying to do this and they just can't do it, and I got to go, no, 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 that's on you, that's on you, and that's what that's the sweet spot that you got to find. Yeah. Now, speaking of the defense, Ryan, we had Frank McCatry, who's an LSU fan, who's on here, who's a, who's one of those non Notre Dame fans that comes on our channel time, which we greatly appreciate. He had a comment said Clark Lee and Mike Elko deserve bigger programs. Clark Lee is a very principled man. I think they both are. And that's something a lot of people don't know about Mike Elko as well. They're both very good, decent human beings, hard workers and all that. Clark Lee, I don't know if I say he deserves a better program because it's his alma mater. I think he has a passion for Vanderbilt, you know, yeah. and so but but I, I he's got to show me he's got to show me he can win a little bit more before I'm ready to go there. But Mike Elko did a phenomenal job at Duke this year. And if he can build on that, he won't be at Duke very long unless he just Great. wants to be. Uh and 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 again very good dudes. So you, you root, root for them to have success, right? It's partly why I rooted for Marcus Freeman to have success. I'll give Brian Kelly a lot of credit. He hired a, a, a terrible defensive coordinator in Brian Van Gorder. But outside of that, he made some very good defensive coordinator hires. Bob Diaco was a very good hire. Uh, Clark Lee was a very good, or Mike Elko was a great hire. Clark Lee promoting him was a very good hire. Marcus Freeman was a great hire. That's one thing he did well during his time in Notre Dame was yeah. was outside of that one hire. He he did very well when it came to hiring defensive coordinators. No doubt.
And I mean, Duke's going to be a really interesting team this year too, Brian, because it's like they're, they lost Shaka Hayward, who was a really good linebacker for them, obviously. Right. But you got guys like Dwayne Carter coming back, Ruben Oban, who is a really talented pass rusher for them. And then they got their quarterback, Riley Leonard coming back for his second year as a starter. So Duke's going to be an interesting football team, man. I, I, I agree with you though. If, Duke continues trending in the right direction. I don't know if they'll be able to hold on to Mike Elko for too long, but they're going to be a tough team while he's there, I think, because I think that they'll take a, a nice step. Like They showed a lot in year one, but I think they're going to take a nice sophomore step for him as well as their coach. Right. Here's a very interesting question that we brought got brought up on Ohio State guy. And, and he asked, it was from Archer. He said, who's the most okay. important player in the modern era of learning football when it comes to the program and culture? And I, I wanted to kind of find out what he meant by that. And here's, here's what he followed up with. He said that, uh, I believe Ohio State would have imploded if Braxton Miller got out of his NIL after Tatgate. That's the situation that happened with the Vera Posey and was it Mike Adams and, and uh, the quarterback, yeah. uh, Terrell Pryor. <clears throat> he cemented a culture and was a soul of the team. Who is that guy for Notre Dame? So obviously we're talking like the modern era, like who has – had the biggest impact on where Notre Dame is today. Uh, there's a lot of different answers you can give. I'm going with Brady Quinn. Brady and Quinn here's was my why. answer, too. Yeah. If Brady Quinn doesn't do what he did at Notre Dame, on the field, off the field, there is no Manti. There is no insert player. Notre Dame recruited off of the success that Charlie Weiss had with Brady Quinn. As a quarterback, as a representative of the university, you talk about a guy that graduated in like, with two degrees, I was told he was like a high three-something GPA. He's got an Irish name. You know, he's always represented the university as a human being extremely well. And they had great success. And that led to the recruiting that then led to the success that Brian Kelly had in 2012. I mean, a lot of that was built off of Charlie's recruiting. And all of Charlie's recruiting was built off of what they did in 05 and 06 with Brady Quinn at quarterback. So if it's not for Brady Quinn, I don't know if there is a Manti Teo. I, I don't know if there is that. I don't know if he comes to Notre Dame if not for the success that Charlie had with Brady in his first two years. So, And then now today, Brady's still impacting Notre Dame. He started that fund thing. Now, look, I want to see it yeah. get even more and expand and get bigger and all that other kind of stuff. But for a startup, it, it's, it's meeting to a degree some of the need you have uh, when it comes to the NIL stuff. So he's got into the NIL space to help out his institution. He's always... He's never sh- shied away from being a Notre Dame guy. He wears that like a badge of honor. You know, where some guys that are in Brady's job understandably say, hey, I want to disassociate myself from my alma mater in this role because I don't want I want people to think I'm objective, and I have no problem with that. But I sure. also respect those guys that are okay wearing their school as a badge of honor but are also willing to say good things and be critical. And I think Brady Quinn is kind of – he, he tends to be on the side of always going to support Notre Dame, but he'll be critical if he really feels the need is there. But he's always been a great representative of Notre Dame. So he's having an impact, not just – and he mentioned that Braxton Miller still involved in the community around – and that's great. I love hearing that stuff. But to me, Brady – if not for Brady Quinn, I think Notre Dame could have gone into a very, very, very dark place. Say, so, well, Brian Kelly would have got him out of – no, 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 no. If Brady Quinn doesn't come to Notre Dame, Brian Kelly doesn't come to Notre Dame, in my opinion. If Notre Dame would have gone from where Ty was and continued to get worse, it's not an attractive job. Brian Kelly would have gone to Tennessee or somewhere else. He never would have come to Notre Dame. And we'd be in we'd be in the desert land right now. And so I think it all, to me, Brady Quinn's that guy for me, right? Honestly, I saw Archer say this in the chat earlier and the question, and 
I know people sort of put like Manti in there and stuff. And like Manti's a good answer. Like Manti was incredibly flu- influential for the program. But Brady Quinn was the guy on the top of my head. I was just like, I, I don't think there's any other answer for me. You know, like that's just kind of who it is. Brady Quinn, because again, I, I kind of want p- people to understand like from like my age bracket, especially like in the modern era. I don't remember great football at Notre Dame, really, right? Like when I first started remembering, it was like end of Bob Davey into Tyron Willingham, and like that wasn't obviously. Right. We know the struggles that is weren't you born? Weren't you born like when Jerome Bettis was at Notre Dame? Right. So I mean, you were yeah, you were two 91. years old the last time Notre Dame was a legitimate national title contender. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So obviously, I don't remember that. That my bet my earliest memories for me from a personal perspective was Brady Quinn coming out of nowhere. I mean, he had played, obviously, the two years prior, but, like, his junior year, man, throwing to Samarja and throwing to Stovall and throwing to Anthony Fasano and Darius Walker running back. Like, that was my first, like, great memory of Notre Dame football. You know, like, that was it, where you, like, just, where, like, all of a sudden they went from a dumpster fire to one of the best offenses in college football <laughs> that year, you know? It, it was just awesome to watch. And then, like you said, Brian, I mean, the transcendent part of it, too, is that, Archer talks about what Braxton Miller does in the community and does and Brian, I think I think Brady Quinn is still a, a kind of a, a symbol of the excellence of Notre Dame football, you know, and, and being a Notre Dame man, even more than just Notre Dame football. He's a great representative of Notre Dame, all the values that it has, both from a football perspective, from a student perspective, from a man perspective. So yeah, Brady Quinn would be my easy answer in that conversation. Again, Manti is a I'll accept anybody that says Manti because I think he's very influential. But for me yeah. personally, for where my childhood comes from, where, you know, just kind of the continued just beacon of hope that Brady Quinn is at times, right? I, I think it's Brady Quinn for me pretty easily. We had a question, and, and I don't have the question up anymore, but I, I did have a question about Aiden Kanaana. What's the latest? As, of, as far as I know, he's healthy, fully healthy, and be ready to go this spring. Uh, he needs a big spring. Um, I'm, I've got a lot to say about that. I'm going to wait to see how the spring goes first. We'll see how that goes. Hopefully he's given an opportunity to compete this spring and give an opportunity to show what he can do. We shall see. wanted to pull this up from Notre Dame 2164. This is one of – Ryan, you may, you don't know this, but because, you know, you, you came on last year, so you weren't here for that first year. But this is one of our OGs people, right, people that have been with us from the beginning. Notre Dame 2164 said a while back, and I remember this, a while back I asked you guys to pray for my brother Eric. I'm so glad to report that he is doing well and as happy as he's ever been. Thank you for all the prayers. Love you guys. Hey, man, we we are so happy to hear that. Always love hearing when when uh, you know people are sick or struggling or you know not doing well like your brother that that uh, they're able to bounce back. So very, very happy to hear that, man. Very happy to hear that. David Lowe asks, do you all think we add any more defensive players in the spring portal? It, it depends. I mean, yeah. right now, Notre Dame is still over 85 on the scholarship limit. So before they can even think about adding anyone, they need to lose some guys. Do right. I do I think it's a possibility? Yes, it's a possibility. But honestly, David, right now, I mean, the portal doesn't open until May. So it doesn't even matter to discuss it right now. Because, like, here's here's what I mean. I could say, man, I, you know, one of the question marks that we that we were going to have because we didn't get to it, Ryan, because because of your internet thing, because I wanted you to be able to discuss it. But one of the things that that we were going to talk about was one concern that we have on defense is the interior defensive line. There's some guys there, but there's it's not as I'm not as comfortable with where they are in, on the inside as I am on the edges. Right. So 
how the spring goes, that's a position I could see them looking at. And that's why they tried to get the kid uh, uh, Fisk from uh, Western Michigan. And, and and Anthony Lucas, right? So although he kind of wants to be a big end, but if if guys don't step up, if there's an injury, you're going to have to go get another interior guy. If, if, at the very least, another Chris Smith type of guy. At the very least, which would be fine, and, right? Which would be fine, you know. So so to me, that's where I look now. But if Gabriel Rubio comes and has a great spring, if Riley's balling out, if if Tyson Ford starts to kind of show his potential, if Aiden Kana on a bus out, all of a sudden Jason Onye starts, you know, oh, I, I like Jason. He can, okay, now I start, and Devin Houston is an early enrollee, like, hey, this kid can help us. Then I don't have the need there anymore, unless it's a dude, right? If another Braden Fisk wants to come, sure, you take that guy, but I may not need another Chris Smith type because I'm, I'm good there. I got Aiden Kana on, I've got, I got Gibber Rubio, I got Jason Onye, I got Devin Houston. We're good. So it just depends. I mean, safety right now, you may have to go to the portal. And, you know, so we'll, we'll probably talk about this a little bit more on Thursday. But right now, with without Brandon Hillman, I don't know how much he's going to play this year, but he was another athletic kid that you at least had on the roster. Right now, safety, if I'm, if I'm looking at the portal right now, of what we know right now, I'm looking at the transfer portal after spring at safety. Well, the problem is, what if a problem with me kind of diving into that right now, David, is that that's true as of today. But what if they move Clarence Lewis over there? What if Ben Minich just comes out the spring and is just balling? You know what? There's a there's a lot of different things that we could we could look at and say, uh, you know, hey, if this happens, then all of a sudden you don't have a need. If Clarence Lewis moves over, Ryan Barnes moves over, one of those guys, and they step up and make plays. Then, then uh, you know, then you you could just you could just focus on that. So that's why I say um, I could tell you right now, D tackle and safety, two positions, Ryan. That I think you and I would say if we were Notre Dame, we'd have our eye on the portal right now. But yep. it's really premature because there's opportunities for players to cup step up this spring and say, hey, no, you don't you don't need that. Move this guy there, you're you're fine. Or this guy stepped up, you're fine. So we won't really know that until we get through the spring sure yeah and I, I think that you mentioned you know a couple of the corners potentially moving to safety like that could help the depth immediately you know and I there was a question on the yesterday's show on the recruiting hour show Brian about like do you go to the portal right now and I'm like well you can't go to the portal right now and you also don't know what the spring is going to bring as far as you know literally you, I mean, you right. could legit you could like, close the portal Exactly. And you could legitimately be one corner moving to safety away from everything being good and solidified, right? Like Clarence Lewis can move over there and you're like, safety group's good, man. Like, we don't need that. We're good. I think a misconception that some have is they think, well, Clarence has already played three years, so he's done in 2023. His first year at Notre Dame where he played a lot as a freshman, he was a – that was the COVID year. So technically, even though he played a bunch that year, you got to treat that like a red shirt. So Clarence would have two years left to play safety. Ramon has multiple years left. Xavier has multiple years left. Clarence would have multiple years left. Justin Walters has multiple years left. Ben Minich has multiple years left. And Adon Schuler has multiple years left. So if you move Clarence, all of a sudden, you feel really good about where you are. Where, where I get concerned is like, okay, you move Thomas Harper. You know, I don't know if that answers that, if that solves the problem. I don't know if if that uh, is something that I would say, hey, uh, 
okay, could he do it? Sure, he could do it. He hasn't played a ton of safety. He's played mostly in the box or at nickel. He's played some at safety, and you can move him there in, in certain looks and do that. But but then you take away from your nickel spot, which to me right. is very important. When you look at Ohio State and, and, and Clemson and USC and Duke and a lot of the teams, and you know, Louisville's going to be a team you're going to need a nickel for this year because you're bringing in Jeff Brom now. There's a lot of teams in the schedule where like, we're going to need that nickel to be as good as it possibly can be. Do you really want to take from away from Thomas Harper and put him on the back end? And then he's done after this year. I mean, DJ Brown. That's, so yeah, that's why I like the idea of moving a Ryan Barnes and a Clarence Lewis. One of them, I prefer Clarence Lewis because I know what he can do. Brian Barnes, may, like let's say DJ Brown has a great spring and Xavier and Ramon have great springs. Then maybe it's okay. Then I'd be a little bit better off moving Ryan Barnes because then if he he can give you depth and then maybe help you out down the road. But with Clarence, I feel like he can move there and right now be good. And I think that helps Clarence because if Clarence is going to play pro football, it's not going to be as a corner. It's going to be as a safety. And I'd say yeah. let him get start working on it because he's not as athletic, as explosive, explosive as Julian Love was or athletic as Julian Love was. Julian Love wasn't fast. Julian Love had really good testing numbers and all the other because he was sudden. He was, he was fluid. He just wasn't real fast, which is why he's playing safety now and not playing corner. And sure. Clarence to me is is doesn't have even that, but he could be a he could be an NFL safety in as a depth guy potentially potentially there. He has no shot of playing NFL at corner in my opinion, and so well, that's I, why I would like to see him get that shot as well. I, I think one key thing too, Brian, as you mentioned, is that Thomas Harper's gone after this year too, right? So if you move him to safety, that feels like a band aid move to me, right? Like right. long term, that doesn't help you. Like I'm trying to look in like two year windows, right? Like what's going to help me in 2023 and in 2024 potentially impact me and Clarence Lewis, Ryan Barnes, one of those two would definitely long-term help you consistently, maybe more than Thomas Harper in year one. Cause like you said, I mean, you also need to figure out who's the nickel then, you know, on a full-time basis, who's that type of guy. So I, th- that would just feel like a kind of a band-aid move to me and not one that really moves the needle moving forward to me. Like it will help in the immediacy, probably sure, but it doesn't help me going into next off season into the 2024 season. It just feels like a band-aid move. Right. Agree. Agree. All right. Let's get to the next question here. Uh, Zach Martin says uh, spitballing here, but could you see Nolan Ziegler cross training at safety or has that time passed? Well, they've spent this whole off season trying to get him put weight on him. So I don't know if that's going to, would be the answer. And again, and that he's would like be a band now, right? Yeah, he's like yeah. 30 now. Yeah. Yeah. But like moving him, moving Jaden Osbury, those would be band-aids to give you numbers. It doesn't actually give you a guy there that can play that position at that level. Nolan is a level two guy. Jaden Osbury is a level two guy. If you're if you want to put someone at safety, now look, in 2012, could Nolan Ziegler have played safety in that defense? Yes, because he's he's Zeke Mata. Zeke Mata. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, uh, but in this defense, he's a rover will, in my opinion. Maybe even a Mike, if you know now he's 230, but it look if you're going to help safety it has to come from it has to come from the cornerback depth chart or the transfer portal that that's where that's where the help has to come from yeah i don't i don't think we're we, we don't see many 230 pound guys at safety anymore right brian no. like the sean taylors no. don't come around very often Taylor the taylor mazes yeah. like yeah Each they don't come around yeah, at all. <laughs> exactly Insured by Big. This is a, a one of our LSU, another one of our LSU fans that joins the chat and does. Uh, we appreciate him. Says, "I'm sorry if this is considered a dumb question, but as an outsider here, what is the main reason or reasons that Notre Dame wants to remain independent versus being in the conference?" Just curious. Thanks. There's several reasons for it. Number one is Notre Dame is very much a, tr- a school about tradition. 
And part of that tradition has been they're independent. They've always stayed independent. Notre Dame, long time ago, tried to get into the Big Ten, which at the at the time was called the Western Conference, I believe. Right, Ryan? Wasn't it called the Western Conference? Sounds, sounds And great. they were blocked up. by several schools and, and led by Michigan. Uh, and it was basically about they didn't want a Catholic school in, in there. It was an anti-Catholic movement. Now, it, I don't know if, if it, that exists today the way it does for other things, but there used to be a lot of anti-Catholic bigotry in our country. Uh, now, I'm not Catholic myself. I'm just saying this from a historical perspective. That's not debatable. Uh, there used to be a lot of you know anti-Catholic bigotry, and the Michigan, led by, I think it was Fritz Kreisler, I think is who it was at the time, led this whole anti-Notre Dame charge. Now, Michigan State was one of the advocates for Notre Dame, which is why I've always said, hey, I'm a, I'm a big fan of playing Michigan State because they did have Notre Dame's back. Notre Dame tried again uh, in, the I think, the 40s or 50s, and again, Michigan blocked them. And that's kind of when Notre Dame was like, okay, screw it. We're just going to do what we're going to do. But because of Michigan initially keeping Notre Dame out of the of, of what has became the Big Ten, I think it was called the Western Conference. Some of you all in the chat may – Correct me if I'm wrong. I think at the time they were called the Western Conference. And so uh, what Notre Dame said, okay, fine. We're now going to go play all over the country. And that's when Newt Rockney kind of started. That's kind of where the USC thing came from. They played Stanford in the Rose Bowl. They started doing more things where they'd go all over the country and play. And that's how Notre Dame built their brand was, was they were the only team really that you saw would just, I mean, they'd go out and play New York. They'd go out and play Army in uh you know in in the uh um what was it called uh yankee stadium goodness gracious <laughs> and they would go out and play usc they would play all over the country and that's how they kind of became their names team that's when like sort of the, the subway alums were were kind of born and you know they just would play all over the country in an era where teams just didn't play all over the country and so that's kind of you know that's kind of where, where that that came about and then they just continued. It just grew from there. And then Notre Dame became a, a powerhouse that played all the country. Cause it used to be independents were huge up until the nineties. And we talked about this, Ryan, in 1988, when the last time Notre Dame won a national championship, I think four of the top five teams of college football that year in the final rankings were independent teams. People forget that number one, Notre Dame, number two, Miami, number three, Florida state, number five, West Virginia. The only other team to finish in the top five in the top five that wasn't an independent team was Michigan at number four. When then Notre Dame played three of those four teams. They played Miami that year, they played West Virginia that year, and played Michigan that year and beat all of them. You know, the, at the time the ACC only had eight teams, the big eight only had eight teams. This is the crazy part, Ryan. Young people, you may not understand this. Back then, if a team was labeled with a number in their conference. <laughs> they actually had that number of teams in their conference. Isn't that crazy to think? It's like the Big Eight actually only had eight teams. The Big Ten had here's great ten teams. Uh, the the Pac Brian, you can't you can't rebrand, can't no, rebrand no, anymore. Get better. The Pac twelve of today was actually the Pac ten, and before that, there were the Pac eight because they actually went by the number of teams in their conference. I know that's crazy to think about now uh, because it's just, it's gotten so stupid, but that's how it was. And so Notre Dame would play, but like back then, Ryan, it was so great because you'd have Florida State would come up and play Michigan. Miami would come up and play Michigan. They'd go out and play UCLA. It was great. 
And when the leagues were smaller, you had to play more non-conference games. So anyway, so Notre Dame just kind of became that national team. There's a lot of financial advantages to Notre Dame being able to play all mm-hmm. over the country, going out to New York to play, going out to California to play, going out to Florida to play, going out to Texas, in front of all the big alums. There's, there's, and so people talk about, well, you know, this team makes this. Notre Dame makes plenty of money, and as we've <laughs> said before, if Notre Dame needs a four hundred million dollar in, 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 you know, build onto their football facilities or on their stadium, which is the Crossroads project, they don't need to tap into their TV revenue to do that. They go raise the money. They raised every single dime and paid for it. They just built a new hundred million dollar, a uh, hundred million dollar indoor facility for Notre Dame's football team that's now going into what year three, year four, something like that. And where and every it's beautiful. Single dime, it, it's it is beautiful. Yeah. Every single dime was raised. Every single dime was raised uh from outside revenue. So if and, and that's because they became this national brand, even though Notre Dame is a very small school, uh and, and I've used this example in the in the in the past too, Ryan, is now there's a lot of people and I had somebody DM me on this the other day there's a lot of people that misunderstand what the endowment is. Notre Dame's endowment is not a situation where they can say, Hey, we have this endowment of X amount of dollars. And so if we need to go hire a football coach, we can uh, pull out of that endowment and hire. That's not how it works. It doesn't go to that, but I like to use the endowment to kind of make a point. And if you look at just Notre Dame's endowment, for example, it is 16, uh, latest number I saw right here, I'm looking at uh, this, this graph right here, $16.7 billion. And then you look at, for example, the University of Michigan is $17.4 billion. So Notre Dame's got about, about $100 million less, which is, in, when you're talking about a small number. But here's the thing. Notre Dame has between eight to 10,000, eight to 12,000 students if you count graduate plus undergrads, Right. Ohio State has a $6.9 billion endowment, so a third of what Notre Dame's is. Well, the University of Michigan has, I mean, 48,000 students. Ohio State has like 50,000 students, right? If you count all their campuses, I think it's about 47, 48 on their main campus, and they have like the branch here and the branch there and all that. 8,000 to 40,000. 40,000 fewer students, and yet Notre Dame's right there with Michigan in an endowment and way ahead of Ohio State. Why? Because they're a national program. It's part yeah. of that's the 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 you know the people that graduate from Notre Dame tend to make a lot of money. It's just the reality of it. But it's also about the fact that they get so much non-alum donor money because they are the national brand. And so you lose that if you join a conference, to be honest with you. You do, and Notre Dame hasn't needed to join a conference, and so, um, you know, those are those are the things that um, um, you you look at Ryan and say th- those are reasons why tradition. It makes sense financially. There's a lot of positives to being an independent, and and there's no reason for Notre Dame to join a conference at this point in time. There's no one's ever been able to give me a real reason why they should join, other than preconceived ideas of. Well, everybody else is doing it. Well, what, who does Notre Dame think that they're? But Notre Dame has always stayed. Notre Dame's never changed. Everybody else yeah. has changed. So why should Notre Dame have to change because everybody else is changing, right? So, uh, you know, LSU's been in the SEC forever. South Carolina wasn't because the last time Notre Dame won a national title, South Carolina was an independent team. 
The last here, here's teams that were independent the last time Notre Dame won a championship, 1988. Miami, Florida State, West Virginia, Syracuse, Louisville, South Carolina, Pitt, Memphis, Rutgers, Penn State, Temple, Boston College, Cincinnati, Virginia Tech, Navy. Those are just some of the teams that were still independent in 1988. Right? So Notre Dame's never changed. Why should they yeah. have to change? Because everybody else changed. And now they all are in their feelings. Well, these teams did it. Why shouldn't you? Why should Notre Dame have to change? Why? If they want to stay independent, then let them stay independent. And if it hurts their team from winning a championship, that's their business. That's their right. business. Well, so. I think the appeal, I think the appeal, overall appeal for Notre Dame too, Brian, is that it is a unique place, right? Like it isn't, it isn't like everybody else. Like, isn't that kind of what the big pull to Notre Dame football is and to right. just being a Notre Dame student? Like right. it's different, you know, it is a national brand. You know why? Because it's not built like any other program. It's a different type of entity. It's a different type of cat. Like, I mean, to build that brand, this is like the biggest thing, right? This is a brand building thing. You don't get, it's very hard to build a brand in any type of, you know, whatever type of entity you're working in, whether it's in media or just in general, right? Music, whatever. It's very hard to build a brand that is very similar to another person, right? Because that's not unique. It's a lot easier to build a brand when it's different. People recognize different and they gravitate towards what's different. And that's a pull for Notre Dame. And honestly, the other part of it is from a recruiting side of things is if Notre Dame joins a conference, you become more regionally based, in my opinion, from a recruiting perspective, right? Penn State. Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Penn, Notre State, Dame yeah. Penn State. Penn State. Penn State. Perfect exactly. example, Ryan. Yep. Penn State. And Notre Dame needs to go down to Texas and recruit. They need to go out to California at times and recruit. They need to hit the Midwest schools. They need to hit the Northeast schools. They need to go to Southeast. They need to go all over the place. And that allows you because you are a national brand. No one recognizes you as a Big Ten school. They don't recognize you that because then you would just become another Big West, uh, Big East, uh, Big Midwest power. Excuse me. Notre Dame has that national relevance where. You can go out to California and talk to Rico Flores, and Rico Flores knows who you are, right? Like, they're, oh, Notre Dame. Yeah, sure. I know them. Braylon James out in Texas. Oh, yeah, I know who Notre Dame is. Right. That, that's the reason why you have that reach, and that is one of the competitive advantages you need if you're Notre Dame because we've talked about the academic side of the recruiting process, right? We've talked about the regional base as far as being a Midwest school, dealing with weather, all that type of stuff, right? But at the end of the day, Notre Dame can pull from different sides of the country to different different areas because they have that national brand and they have that ability to attract different types of people. So I think that from a recruiting perspective as well, if you become a Big Ten school or if you're forced into a conference, that's going to hurt Notre Dame recruiting in yep. my opinion. It is. It's going to hurt it. Yep. If you look at, for example, Penn State, I use Penn State because it's the closest example you have to Notre Dame. It is a school that is not in the middle of a football hotbed of recruits. And Penn State, again, won two national titles in the 80s, joins the Big Ten in, what, 91 or so, correct? I can't when, – when did Penn State join the Big Ten? Do you remember when that was, Ryan? I could look it, it like up. 90, Something like, like that, 90, though. 91, somewhere around there. Uh, they joined the Big Ten. And let me find it here. It was in 1993. Okay. And they went from being a an independent team that could play whoever they wanted to being a Big Ten team. Now, two things hurt them when they joined the Big Ten. Number one, 
they're never going to be Ohio State ever, ever. They're never going to be Michigan ever. I don't care if they win a national title. They're never going to be those teams, Ryan, ever. Yep. And and from a perception standpoint, in any way, they're never going to be those teams. The other part about it is, is it forced them to play tougher schedules. Because yep. what people don't talk enough about with Joe Paterno is Joe Paterno played soft schedules. He played like two good teams here, and that was it. And then when they went to the Big Ten and they had to actually play good teams, then every year they're guaranteed like two losses because they're going to be they're going to lose two to, they're going to lose two of the three big teams in your conference almost every year. One of Ohio State or Michigan is going to beat them every year, and a lot of times both will beat them. And so, like if you look at like when Penn State won the title in 1986, they played at Alabama, who was really good that year, and they played at Notre Dame. Now, when you schedule Notre Dame, I know Notre Dame was down that year, but you know you expect Notre Dame to be good. That Alabama team finished in the top ten. But the rest of the teams they played that year, Ryan, it, it, I, I go back and I, and I laugh at it because, you know, I have a buddy of mine who just hates Penn State. And so he 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 always I if I know if I want to get him going, I just I'll say something like, man, I, you know, boy, I'll tell you what, boy, man, Joe Paterno used to schedule some heavyweights and he'll just go off and just get super fired up. So the last time Penn State won a national title was 1986 and they played Temple, who stunk back then. You know who Temple's head coach was actually in 1986? Here's a trivia question for you. You know who Temple's head coach was in 1986 when uh, Penn State beat him? Bruce Arians is the answer to that question. So Bruce Arians was the head coach at Temple back in 1986. But they played Temple, who wasn't very good. They played BC, who was just kind of okay, regional team. They played East Carolina, who stunk. They played Rutgers, who stunk. They played Cincinnati, who stunk. They played Syracuse, who was not good that year. They had some okay years under Dick McPherson, all independent teams. They played West Virginia, who wasn't very good that year. They played Maryland, the ACC, who wasn't very good. They played Pitt. They played nothing but an independent schedule, nothing but an independent schedule. And they didn't even play the best teams in the independent league because they, they didn't play Miami in the regular season. They didn't play Florida State that hardly ever. I don't even can't remember the time. And so they'd play these really soft schedules, and they'd play like two tough games a year. And and then they'd they'd win those tough games and then you know they'll just kind of be like eh you know it is what it is like then they lost to Oklahoma like the year that they lost to Oklahoma the year before same thing played the same teams and and it's just a soft schedule and then the the previous title that Paterno won I think it was eighty two yeah nineteen eighty two uh, they played Nebraska who was good Notre Dame was decent that year Pitt that year so I mean they're it's the occasional year but more often than not they're not playing a tough schedule. And then they go to the Big Ten, and they got to play Big Ten schedule every year. And all of a sudden, they start losing games, and they're and they're, and they're not as good. And they they become a regional conference, and they're not even the best team in that region. And so Notre Dame joins the Big Ten. Now all of a sudden, you're having to go with heavyweights like Ohio State in that conference. You're never going to be Ohio State in that conference. Now, is Notre Dame as big of a program as Ohio State? When we talk about perception and heavy, we're not talking about like what happens on the football field. Just like the, the power of your brand is Notre Dame absolutely on par with Ohio state. Yes. If not a little bit beyond again, take football out of it. Cause this is what Ohio state fans don't understand. Well, hold on. We've won. I'm not talking about football. I'm talking about brand power. Notre Dame is at the very least on par with Ohio state when it comes to a national standpoint. But if you join the big 10, you'll never be the big 10 program that Ohio state is. And I don't care how much you win because you're not, you're, you're an outsider. You're a regional program. And so uh, that to me is why uh, I just feel like it's just really just not in Notre Dame's best interest to join the Big the Big Ten or any other conference 
unless they have no choice. We have a question from Archer452. He says, if you were out golden, how would you defend Ohio State's receivers this year? If you're running man, who gets Marvin and who gets a Mecca? I mean, really what it comes down to is Notre Dame's going to keep playing field and boundary. So if Marvin's into the boundary, he'll be playing against Benjamin Morrison. If Marvin's to the field, he'll be playing against a Mecca. I, <clears throat> I believe, Archer, and you would know this a little better than, than I would, I believe Ohio State doesn't go pure field and boundary. I don't believe, but but Marvin will play a bunch into the boundary, and and um, you know and when they're in like two by two and three by one type of sets. But uh, you know, I that's pretty much Notre Dame is a field boundary team. And again, I know I know it's not pure. I know I've seen him play field. I've seen him play boundary. I believe, however, that he was more so last year, more of a boundary guy. You have to correct me on that. So in those instances, he'll be going against Benjamin Morrison, and then Emeka will be going there. So look, they're going to play him how they played him this past year. They're going to be physical with him. They're going to they're going to, to play a lot of man coverage. And the reason you do that is not because you're looking at it and saying, "Hey, my guy can cover your guy." That's part of it. You feel like you have corners that can match up with them. But the other part of it is you're trying to throw off the timing of the pass game. So Ohio State is is not a West Coast team from the standpoint of um, from the standpoint of the same type of precision and timing that it used to be back in the day, but it's more about looking at it like this, like they still, it's quick game. It's the, it's the crossers, it's the meshes, it's things like that. Right. So the more you can beat them up and reroute and slow down their releases, even if they eventually beat you, you are throwing off the timing of the pass game. And so if you have really good man corners you can you can force Ohio State to do more volume. Now they may still get their yards at the end of the game, but you've made them work for it. And this is what Michigan did to them two years ago: is you know Stroud threw for a ton of yards, but he had to throw a lot of passes to get there, and they forced a lot of incompletions, and they were able to make enough stops to win the game. Notre Dame did that last year too. They were able to force C.J. Stroud to be really inaccurate. He was thrown into tight windows which you'll often see in an early game, the timing wasn't on point. You know, yeah, Jackson got knocked out of the game and Notre Dame was able to kind of beat him up and, and, and that helped him a lot in that game. And I think you'll see the same thing this year. And then the only way it works though, to where you can win is if you, you slow down the, the releases, which means they're not getting to their spots as quickly. They're not getting into their routes as quickly. And then hopefully that allows your pass rush to get there. Now that's what hurt Notre Dame in the third and fourth quarter last year is the pass rush wasn't getting there. And so Stroud was able to get out of the pocket and make some plays on the run and, and make a couple big throws down the field when, when Tariq Bracey got hurt and, and have some success on him. So I think that's how Ohio State counters is, is, you know, you get him out of the pocket, you throw, take a couple, throw a shot, couple shots down the field where you say, Hey, my guy can beat your guy. But if you're Notre Dame, you're kind of banking on the fact that they don't throw the ball down the field a lot. So you, your hope is like, well, they're not going to take that shot as much. Maybe that'll change with Tom McCourt. I don't know, or Devin Smith. I don't know. I just think that's kind of who, who coach, uh, who coach Day is. Maybe if Brian Hartline has more of a say, they will throw the ball down the field more. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, we'll find that out. But I, I think it's just it's it's be man and hope that your pass rush can get to him. And I, you got to blitz him to a degree, but you also don't want to blitz him a ton. Don Brown tried that and they got destroyed. Because if you're blitzing them a ton, anytime you lose a one-on-one battle on the perimeter, you're getting smoked. And that's kind of what, what really killed them against, against Ohio State. Is they may press one guy successfully, but you lose in the slot, you lose over here, and you don't have any hope over the 
never seen a team get destroyed by mesh concepts as much as Don Brown did when he went up against Ohio State because he just tried to blitz them like crazy, and you just you can't do that to this all. It's Ohio. There are some offenses you can blitz and heat up. Ohio State's not an offense you want to blitz a million times. It's just it's just not. They'll eat you alive, in my opinion. Next question is from Nathan Milton. Does a Jordan Patel type of player make the defense better uh, than that of Isaiah Foskey? Not saying Patel is better, just curious if his style complements the defense. I mean, look, if if you're going to tell me that, well, we can use him more to fit our defense of what we'd like to be, and so you can evolve into this defense because of what Patel does, then sure, I'd go with that. But if you're going to look at it from the standpoint of, you know, look, we're going to be better with Patelho because he does this and Foskey didn't, then I'd say you weren't using Isaiah Foskey properly then. I think it, it it's not that it'll make it better. It'll just be different. And if you lose, if you use Jordan Patel, you say, well, man, Patel's not Foskey, and that's why he wasn't as productive. Again, that's a you problem, not a Jordan Patelho problem. You got to use him correctly and and be in a situation correctly and used to what he does well. So don't ask Jordan Patel to be like Isaiah Foskey and don't ask Isaiah Foskey to be like Jordan Patel. Use him to his strength. So it could be, I mean, does it better? I don't know if I'd say that. It's just different. It's just different. All right, next question from, uh see, Archer. Uh, Brian, are you bring those up now? Okay. Got one from Jason Smith. I'm not super confident DJ Brown. Kind of, uh, for me personally, reminds me of Houston Griffith. I thought he would be the next really good safety, but just never really took off. Look, DJ Brown, to me, is a really good football player if you're able to use him as a role player. Where you limit his snaps, you know, he's smart, you can put him in this game and, and let him do things he does well. It, it's just the more he plays, the more there's a chance he gets beat. And, and I think, to me... I thought the safety play in the bowl game was pretty good for the most part. And a big part of that was you were in a situation where you were not asking um, your him and Houston Griffith to be impact players. You, you weren't, you were saying, Hey, you're role players. We've got Houston. We got, uh, you know, we've got Ramon playing a bunch. So this is what your role is. Go do it well. And he did that. And if you can keep him in that role, then, then I like what DJ Brown adds to that degree. Uh, you just don't want him to be a guy that's an every down player or anything close to an every down player. And and I thought, I, look, I know Houston catches a lot of flack because he didn't pan out. To, I thought Houston Griffith was a solid football player for Notre Dame last year. I mean, can you name me one time he got beat last year? I like, you know, he didn't make a ton of plays, but he did his job. And there's there's a need for that. And DJ Brown is a do your job kind of guy if you can keep him in the right niche in the right role. And that's why, I, again, why I think a guy like Clarence Lewis could be impactful because I think Clarence Lewis could be basically a co-starter where you have him and who playing both safety spots or maybe Ramon plays both safety spots or whatever, and Clarence just plays one. But in a, there are certain roles at safety I think Clarence Lewis could be really good at and, and much more so than D.J. Brown. And if that then allows D.J. to play 10, 12, 15 snaps a game, and when he's in the game you're having him do this thing right here, I think it'd be really good. Like Isaiah Pryor. I thought the way that Marcus Freeman used Isaiah Pryor defensively in 2021 was excellent because he is a very limited player. He could do like two things well, and they were both involved getting downhill. And so that's all they asked him to do. They didn't ask him to do anything else. And I want to see stuff more stuff like that this year. Our next question from Archer452, is there a recruit in this class who doesn't hold a Notre Dame offer yet that you are high on and hope the staff will make a push for? Hmm, that's a, that's a good question. I... 
I don't really have that guy now. Uh, Isaiah Canyon would have been a guy that I would have probably gone with, but he recently got offered. He's a kid that played a lot of quarterback in high school. I think he's going to be a receiver. He's 6'3", 190, pretty fast kid. He's got some tools. He's raw, plays quarterback, but he'd, he'd have been a guy that I would have put there, but he recently got offered, so I don't have that answer right now. Got a question from Brian Kelly's accent. It's a great name. Got a scenario. Game four against Ohio State. Um, it's going to be game five, but I'll, we'll go with that. So game five against Ohio State. 35 seconds left on the clock. Up 24-22 on, on fourth and six on the 45-yard line. Who is your 11 on defense for Notre Dame? Because Ohio State has the ball. Well, number one, part of it, is going to depend on what the personnel package is for Ohio State. In that scenario, Ohio State tends to be more 11 personnel, if not 10. I would say 11 because you want to have Cade Stover on the field. So 11 personnel, fourth and six. I Here's the two scenarios, right? So number one is you could go all coverage and put go like a 3-3 three, three, three look and maybe blitz a guy. You can go to a 4-2 look. Uh, where you want to have your four down and, you know, depend on what your pass rush is. I would probably be in a four down because I would view uh, my fourth guy being a Jordan Patojo uh, type of guy. I don't know if I'd be in pure nickel simply because in Ohio State, depending on your look, could pop a quick run outside. They could pop a screen. They're not afraid to do that a quick swing pass if you're going to, you know, because you're nickel, you tend to, to heat teams up more. I'd probably go my four two five with Patejo as a Viper because I can drop him into coverage if I needed to. I'd have, uh, I'd probably have Javante Jean-Baptiste at, at big end because I, I want my better pass rusher there. I'd have Riley Mills inside. I have to try to think of who my other, my next inside. I'd probably have Gabriel Rubio at nose. Because what I want is I want long guys on the field because I want them getting a hard rush and getting your hands up, maybe batting down a pass. So I don't want Howard Cross in there in that scenario because I want a guy that's longer. I want to, I want really long guys. Baptiste, long. Riley Mills, long. Gabriel Rubio, long. I'd have Jordan Patel rushing the quarterback. I'd probably have Jack Kaiser and J.D. Bertrand inside or J.D. Bertrand and either Nolan Ziegler or Jalen Steed inside. I'd have Thomas Harper in the slot. I'd have my two corners would be Benjamin Morrison and uh, Cam Hart. And I would have Xavier Watts and Ramon Henderson at safety. That's where I would be. And I would have either Harper. I would probably have Xavier Watts just wherever Cade Stover goes, you follow him. I'd go cover one. Uh, I would say, hey, we're going to force the ball outside. I'm taking away slants. I'm, I'm going to jump and aggressively beat up a mesh. If they're going to beat me outside, then, hey, beat me outside. More power to you. But I, I also feel like the outside routes are going to be – I'm going to be aggressive in coverage. I'm not going to give you a quick outcut uh, necessarily, but I'm going to force you to throw the ball outside. I'm not letting you beat me with a slant. I'm not letting you beat me with a mesh. If you beat me because you throw a one-on-one the outside and a Mecca or Marvin Harrison just make a play, then, hey, you know what? You're, you're better than me right now. But that's where I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to beat you. And then hopefully my pass rush can get there. Those are the things that I would do. Uh, if I'm if I'm Notre Dame and then just say hey, look you know you're we're, make sure another reason I'd have four I'd have four guys too is it gives me a better chance to keep my pass rush lanes than drop an eight because if Kyle McCord's the starting quarterback he's athletic enough and mobile enough to where if you drop eight and and they're running some downfield stuff and you're in man 
there could be a crease to run. Four down gives me a better shot at having a little bit more pass rush lane discipline in that scenario as well. Our next question from We Are Not Marshall, Brian and Ryan, does this upcoming season hinge on the play of the front seven? I would love to a great balance across all three levels, but feel our offense may be bailing us out at times. Your thoughts? Absolutely. Look, this team is going to be defined by how good the front seven is going to be. Look, I expect the offense to be really good this year. How good? We'll find out. But I expect it to be one of their best offenses in a while. The secondary is going to be very good. You've got really good corner play. I'm a lot higher on the safeties, the starting safeties, than maybe some other people are. They're they're, they're not there yet. I I think Xavier's going to break out. I I like what Ramon can bring if he can be more consistent. And especially if they move Clarence Lewis to safety, I think the secondary could be really, really good. It really comes down to how good can your your interior be. Now, your interior is going to be good enough to beat nine teams on your schedule. No problem. And and now the question is, okay, but can you beat two of the other three? Now, and I'm not even talking about the three being Ohio State, Clemson, and USC. What I'm saying is you're going to get nine wins based on how good this team is, in my opinion, if the offense is better. Because last year's team, if the offense was as good last year as I expect this year's offense to be, Notre Dame's 10-2 and two at worst, if not 11-1. and one. And so when you look at it this year, they play some, to me, really good offenses this year. Not just the big three that you play. Obviously, Clemson, I expect to be better offensively. Ohio State's, look, I know a lot of Notre Dame fans think Ohio State's going to suck on offenses. You're not suck, but just not be nearly as good because they lose C.J. Stroud. And C.J. Stroud was a heck of a player. But keep in mind, they bring back two absolute studs at receiver. They're very deep at that position. They bring in the best freshman class of receivers in the country, arguably. Kate Stover comes back. He's not a big volume guy, but he's a clutch tight end. Travion Henderson's going to be healthy. Mayan Williams is going to be healthy. Their concern is not quarterback for me. If Ohio State's not going to be good on offense this year, it's because of the line where they lost three starters. That's going to be the – and they lost the money starters, meaning their tackles and their center. So that'd be my concern. They're not going to not be good because of their quarterback. Their quarterback can flat out play. And so the way to beat Ohio State this year is you got to win in the trenches. You've got to beat them up up front. You couldn't do that last year, so they ran on you in the second half. If you can do that this year, then you've got a shot. And that's going to be the key. Notre Dame is going to have to beat them in the trenches. And that's why they beat U.S. Clemson last year. They beat them up in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And they decided to get into an athlete game against USC and didn't play to their strengths on defense. And it got them beat, in my opinion. Beat them up in the trenches. If Notre Dame can't win in the trenches on defense, they're not going to be the team that they can be, in my opinion. So, yes, I think you nailed that question. Next one from Jason Rose. Which current coach at a lower Power 5 program is in line for a bigger challenge soon? Like, which coach is on the rise? Well. You've had some of those guys already kind of get hired recently, right? So we've had the last couple of years, we've had a lot of coaches kind of get promoted from that. I, I think, you know, I, I think for me, let me, let me just pull this up here real quick because I want to be able to look at these teams to kind of go through it. I think a guy that for me kind of jumps out uh, is, you, you, you know, you kind of got to look at these programs that are, that are doing well right now. And I'm very curious to see what James Madison can continue, continue to do. Uh, with Kurt Signetti as their head coach, you know he's a guy that has been a head coach since 2011. He was a he was an assistant coach on Alabama's first staff with Nick Saban. He was a quarterbacks coach at Temple, at Pitt for a number of years in the 90s. He was at NC State in the 2000s. He was he's Philip Rivers' quarterbacks coach. Uh, he was Russell Wilson's quarterbacks coach, I believe. 
uh, or at least recruited Russell Wilson anyway uh, to 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 NC State. He's a guy that's that's a, an older guy that you could say, hey, look, if you're if you're someone looking for a veteran coach and you've got a shot to come in, he's a guy that I could see somebody somebody looking at. Other teams are going to look at him as too old. I get that, and that's just the way that it is. But he's done a great job of James Madison, in my opinion. Won a national, made it to the championship in nineteen. Uh, they made it to the semifinal the next two years. They did a really nice job this year in their first year going D1. They went eight and three this year in their first year playing D1 football. Uh, you know, obviously played some some smaller schools, but they blew them out. Blew out Middle Tennessee, blew out Norfolk State, beat App State on the road, blew out Texas State, blew out Arkansas State, blew out Old Dominion, uh, blew out Coastal Carolina, had a close one over Georgia State. Uh, they got beat by Georgia Southern by a touchdown, got smacked a little bit by Marshall, and lost to Louisville. Uh, but for first year playing D1 football, they did a really nice job. Really nice job. So he's a guy that I would keep a keep an eye on. Uh, for me, uh, some other coaches that I would say that I would kind of keep my eye on, uh, kind of going into this year is Mike Houston at East Carolina. If if I'll tell you what, because Mike Houston was actually at James Madison before Signetti, he's the guy that won the national championship. Uh, he's at East Carolina now. They he took over a program that was in trouble. They went four and eight, three and six his first two years. Last then twenty one, they went seven and five. Last year they went eight and five. Uh, I think he's he did he's done a really nice job there. Obviously, I said won a national championship at James Madison, made it to the championship game that next year. Uh, so he's a guy to keep an eye on. And the thing I like about those two guys is I think too many people are taking chances on coaches who have never proven anything before. And I, I that's to me that's just hey it's it's okay to hire a veteran guy if the guy's going to win then then you're going to be fine right you, you've got a shot. So I think those are guys that I'd look at. I'm just kind of going through this this list here right now of guys trying to just because, like I said, a lot of these guys have moved on. Like two years ago, I said Sonny Dykes when he was at SMU. He's a non-power five coach. Uh, Luke Fickle's moved on. He's a guy that I would have said last year, but he's moved on. Obviously, he's no he's a now a power five coach. Uh, you know, I, I won't say Kalani uh, Sataki because he's a BYU guy. I don't see him going anywhere. I, I think he seems to be pretty happy where he is. I hope he doesn't go anywhere anyway. A couple other guys that I would take a look at. Let me just kind of go through here. Um, I'm not going to throw Gus Malls on on that list. Hugh Freeze has already moved on. Uh, Sean Clark hasn't really blown me away. I, I think Jamie Chadwell's a tad over. Here's one. Jeff Trailer at Texas San Antonio, UTSA. That guy's done a heck of a job there. Now, he has gotten some sniffs already uh, from, from some big-time programs, but – uh, or not some big time for power five programs. He's turned them down or, or, you know, not got there, but I think for the right job, he could come. He's, he's been an assistant at Arkansas for two years in the past. He coached special teams at Texas for two years. He's a, it was a long time high school football coach and he's done a really nice job at Texas San Antonio. Really nice job. They've gone, they've gone 23 and five the last two years. He's a guy that I could see being someone that, that has a shot to kind of jump up and and get that kind of a Big 12 job or something like that here coming up in, in future years. So uh, Willie Fritz is a guy that obviously got a lot of interest this year. You know, we'll, we'll see kind of where, where he goes if he wants to go. He actually seems to be – some guys like coaching at that level, to be completely honest with you, and I get it. But those are those are guys that I would look at for me. Those are schools that I – those are guys that I look at. Timeout Tom says, I'm looking forward to a better pass rush in 23, not because of the D-line personnel, but the ability of coverage with Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison not to allowing the ball to be released quickly. Brian and Ryan, do you agree? Yeah, and part of that is a system. And and so, you know, if you if you look at – I had a I had the numbers here. Let me, let me pull them up. I haven't had a chance to put them into an article. The last five games that 
actually, I did put it into an article. I put it into the article I wrote today. But the last five games where Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison played together, so I don't. So it's the five games before USC because Cam Hart got hurt against BC. Notre Dame's pass defense only allowed five point five yards per attempt. It allowed opponents to only have one hundred fifty eight point eight yards passing per game. They allowed teams to only complete 52.1% of their passes, and they had a quarterback rating of 98.75. So for context, that 5.5 yards per attempt in the last five games would have ranked them third nationally in passing yards allowed per attempt. Their passer rating of 98.75 would rank second nationally uh, in pass defense, and their 52.1% completion rate would have tied for fourth nationally last year now again that's over a five game stretch it's not an entire season but i'm trying to put into context how good that was and a big part of it was because of the play of the corners they could just lock you down then the pass rush and it's not a surprise that as the cor- as it started being more effective playing man and taking away the quick game all of a sudden isaiah fossey starts getting more sacks other guys start getting more sacks so uh, you are correct that that is a big part of it however you can be a great man team and still get ripped up in the pass game if you can't get to the quarterback so it's, it's a little bit of both but I do think having corners that can kind of play that way allows you to add another second onto the quarterback holding the ball, which could be the difference between the ball coming out quickly or you getting a sack or getting a hit or batting a ball. So I certainly think that plays a role in it. No question. No question. Good, good, good comment, Tom. Katie Kiever says, do you expect practice format to change from last year in Freeman's second year and also with the departure of Reese? I don't I don't think the format will change a ton, Katie. I think the I think the format will stay mostly the same. I think what'll change there'll be some minor tweaks. You always tweak practice. I still think those keep with competition. Certain things will, will change. I think the I think the demeanor will change a little bit. And, and that's not good or bad. It's just when you have a different personality running a side of the ball and they have a different personality on offense this year, it's just gonna be different. Tommy Reese did things his way. Uh, Jared Parker's going to do things his way from a demeanor and attitude and engagement standpoint. Again, I'm not saying one's better or worse. I'm just saying it's different. That's going to change, but I don't think the overall practice structure will change a ton, Katie. And that's a prediction. I mean, you don't see that. You don't often see that from year to year. I am curious to see what the wrinkles are that, that we do see. And then we have one final question here that we'll pull up before we we move on. And says, Robert Bishop says, so Quinn Ewers or Arch Manning? Supposedly there will be an even competition. Thoughts? Well, I mean, I I don't. Here's the thing, Robert. I'm not as down on Quinn Ewers as other people are. Here's here's what's happened to Quinn Ewers. Okay. And and, and Ryan, I'm, I'm very curious if you agree with this. And if you want to jump in and comment on this, you can. Otherwise, you can just text me what you want to say. I think that Quinn Ewers has gone from vastly overrated coming out of high school to very much kind of underrated now. And what I mean by that is I don't think Quinn Ewers was that good last year. But what people got to remember is that was supposed to be his freshman year of college. He enrolled early at Ohio State to get an NIL deal. Now that's on him. But he came out as a freshman. And on a team that had a great running game, and he did okay. I mean, he wasn't great, but he he completed 58% of his passes, 15 touchdowns, six picks, 7.4 yards per attempt. I mean, he, he had some okay moments. You know, he, he had end of the year great, you know, statistically. 
went 31 of 47, 369 yards and a touchdown against uh, Washington. And if he doesn't have Jarrell Worthy or Jarrell Worthy, goodness gracious, um, Xavier Worthy dropping a couple balls, he's he's over 400 yards and at least got one more touchdown. He didn't play three games, so his numbers are low. You know, he, he's got to protect the ball, but he, he only had really one bad game return the ball over a ton. And I thought he did some nice things against t- Kansas State. I don't think he was helped a lot by the O-line of the receivers last year. They dropped a lot of passes for him, I felt. But the, the reality is I think the expectations were too high for me. I think that's really the big thing with Quinn Ewers is I'm not sitting here defending Quinn Ewers like he's some great quarterback and people just need to give him time and he's going to be everything that people thought he was coming out of high school. He's never going to live up to what they thought he was coming out of high school. I mean, if he has the same career that Trevor Lawrence had – People are going to say, well, he never won a Heisman and he only won one title, so he's not that good. That's how much hype that they gave this poor kid. And and so I I look at – I'm sorry. I just don't think that he was as bad as people made him out to be when you consider the fact he was basically a freshman. And and he, he chose – it's his choice. He chose to spend his senior year of high school sitting the bench at Ohio State instead of playing high school football. That's on him. He made that decision for money. But the reality is, is, is I think that we've kind of gotten to the point where I don't think he, 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 I think he gets kind of crapped on a little bit more than he should because of the hype place on him, but the hype place on him, that's not his fault. He didn't, he didn't say, Hey, I want everybody to hype me up, make, call me the greatest quarterback ever. Give me the highest recruiting grade you've ever given a quarterback. And, and, and thank you. That's what I want. I don't think he wanted that. And he took advantage of it with some NIL deals. But I just feel like he was an overrated kid coming out that they're expecting him to play to this level. I actually thought he did okay for what I expected. He played better than I thought he was going to play last year, not by much. Here's the that's that's part of it. He's going to have a year advantage on on Arch. Here's the other part of it. I don't think Arch Manning is as good as people make him out to be. Now, is Arch Manning a top 50 to 100 quarterback? Absolutely. But People have made made comments like there's a particular guy who's a, a national name in recruiting who I don't have a lot of respect for, so I won't say his name. But he said something really stupid. He said if Arch Manning was last name was not Manning, he'd be a three star recruit. I think that's stupid. That's absolutely stupid comment to make. Arch Manning is a top hundred football player, and easily, I don't care what his last name is or who his dad is or who his uncles are, or who his grandpas are. If his name was Arch Driscoll and he was my cousin and have anybody famous in him. I'd say he's a top 100 player. Uh, I might be a bad – Ryan would still rank him as a top 100 player. I'd be biased because he'd be my cousin. But you get the point that I'm making. He's a good football player. I'm just not – he's just not a top number one, number top five player in the country for me. So I don't think Arch comes in with the kind of ability to say, hey, he's just going to come in and beat a guy out. If Quinn Ewers handles the quarterback battle well – just keeps focuses on him, keeps developing himself, and works hard, he'll be the starter. If Quinn Ewers gets beat out, it's because he has a bad attitude and doesn't put in the work. That's what I think. So I think Quinn Ewers and, and, and Arch Manning were both very overrated coming out of high school. I think Quinn Ewers has, is, is had too much asked of him and actually did okay last year for a first-year guy. Didn't get a ton of help at receiver. They're going to have a much better receiving core this year, in my opinion. And so I think he'll be the guy. I do. Um, Am I am I betting my mortgage on it? No, because I don't trust him. That's my big knock on him. I don't have a lot of I, I have issues with him as a, his personality, but I think he's a quality quarterback and has a chance to be a, a, a good college quarterback, pretty good college quarterback in time if given that time and if he's willing to put in the work. So that's my thing. And again, if Arch Manning was Arch Smith, 
and he was the number 45 player in the country, I don't know if we'd be having the same conversation about is he going to beat him out. I just I don't think he would. I think Quinn Ewers is a good football player. They got too much hype put on him that if he gets his head on straight and matures a little bit, he's going to be a good football player. And he showed me some toughness last year too. I, I, I'll say that. He got beat up by Alabama, and he kept fighting until they knocked him out of the game. But, I mean, he literally had an injury come play. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be Quinn Ewers. So that's going to be it for today's show, everybody. I want to thank everybody for uh, being being with us today. Thanks for your patience with Ryan's uh, technical problems. We'll we'll get that figured out. It's just there's, I think, storms over there in in Jersey today, I believe. Uh, I know we've had a lot of snow today. Sounds like there's been a lot of cold all over the place. So everybody stay safe. I want to thank you all so much for being with us again. Hit that like button, folks. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. And I would ask you all, if you haven't already done so and you want to support Irish Breakdown, sign up for the message board. If you're someone who says, hey, but I don't go on a message board, that's okay. You're still helping support us financially, whether you get a monthly membership and an annual membership, or if you just want to join one of the booster clubs, uh, the uh, the Shamrock Blue or Gold clubs, we would appreciate that as well. So. Uh, for Ryan, I'm Brian. Everybody have a great rest of your day. Don't forget tonight, I believe at 6 o'clock, we will have IB Nation Sports Talk with uh, Sean and Vince, so you'll want to check that out as well. And, of course, uh, make sure you're subscribed. If you listen to via podcast, please give us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.